Hey, I'm Andy White and welcome to Masters of Medic. This is the show where we talk to the best of the best in enterprise sales. This is episode number four and we're talking to the one and only Dick Dunkel, the inventor of Medic. Dick has had an illustrious career as a sales leader, individual contributor and head of field enablement for some of the world's most innovative companies. Dick shares a ton of incredible insights and I cannot wait for you to hear them. Hey, Dick. Welcome to Masters of Medic. It is absolutely awesome to have you on the show. As I was just saying to you, um, when I came up with the idea of doing a show like this, um, there's obviously a list of like names of people that you want to get on the show, and, and nobody occupies the number one spot more so than you do. Um, but I, <laughs> You're too kind. I know, but I felt I felt like I had to kind of warm up a little bit, get a bit of practice in with some other absolutely epic sales leaders, which I think many of which you... I enjoyed those very much. They were oh, great. That's yeah, you great. did a great job on those interviews. Thank you very much, Dick. Well, perhaps for those who found the Masters of Medic show and maybe have just been living in a, under a rock somewhere who don't know who you are, Dick Dunkel, perhaps you could introduce yourself to, to the listeners and watchers. Yeah, so um, I'm, uh, I, I tell people I've spent most of my life carrying a quota. Um, so, you know, um, lifelong Philadelphian, if you will, um, lived here, uh, first professional sales job, software sales job was, was at PTC. So that was kind of the beginning. But even before that, um, I'll tell you, my, my very first sales job was um, I sold books door to door for two summers in college and I helped pay some of my college expenses. And uh, I was studying civil engineering. So I spent a little bit of time doing that after school, but eventually got into sales with, uh, with Xerox Corporation, which was great training. Um, so certainly that's the professional side of my business. Um, otherwise, um, Married three sons. Uh, my sons are, in order, uh, a, a sales guy, um, an artist, and uh, aspiring to be a backcountry snowboard instructor. So oh, wow. um, there's a lot of uh, diversity um, in uh, in the family. But um, anyway, that's just a little bit about me. I've uh, I, I'm currently working for a company called Solonis. Very exciting. I've really spent most of my career working for very innovative technology companies, and uh, and that's kind of been my niche. Um, both as a seller and then for the past um, six years, really back returning back to um, something that I did for for a short time at PTC, which is sales development or sales enablement. So um, I've sort of toggled back and forth between those two roles, but um, most of the time has really been spent carrying a quota. Right, right. Interesting. And and so when you moved um, from Xerox to PTC, that seems like that was almost like PTC almost had like a, a desk or something in the foyer of Xerox, because I hear so many of the great sellers that came from um, to PTC came from Xerox. Was that was that something that one of those classic things where you saw your sort of peers making that move and you thought, okay, oh, this, this sounds like interesting. Well, how did, how did that come about? A little bit, you know, uh, it's actually interesting. I worked for Xerox. I started out selling um, office equipment. Then I moved to commercial printing. So I was selling like the big iron, you know, the big um, high-speed duplicators. And then after that, I moved to actually Xerox engineering systems. So I was selling wide format engineering copiers and plotters so that I could tell my parents that I was using my engineering degree. Um, (laughs) um, But you know, being there um, had become exposed to more engineering environments, um, uh, started to hear a little bit about this thing called ProEngineer, which was really a revolutionary technology. Um, they contacted me um, and then and sort of it all it all went from there. But when I 
remember the experience of, of really talking to PTC and how you know Xerox was so buttoned up and so professional and so evolved. PTC was really a different you know kind of environment. It was just edgy and fast moving and high accountability and you know uh, and it was very very exciting and very intense and it was a great it was a great experience. That's interesting. The, the words you said or two words you said there: high accountability. I think those those. Those two words, or being accountable, is something that I think has has, has gone on to be associated with the kind of caliber of uh, salesperson, sales leader that came out of PTC. What what do you think it is or was that that created a high accountability environment at PTC? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it really started at the top, right? You had you know, Steve Walski and Dick Harrison, who was the head of, who was the president, uh, John McMahon, who was, you know, the head of sales. I mean, those guys were strong leaders with a really clear vision, um, and they really expected their managers to, you know, uh, commit to the number and find a way to make the number, and that trickled down to every single individual sales rep. And so I think, um, you know, it really emanated from, from Dick and to John and, and to other, other top sales leaders. Uh, so, you know, that I think in this, when you're, when you're in this kind of business where, you know, growth is expected, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're, sometimes you're making forecasts that your, that your pipeline doesn't necessarily support, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're having to find a way to get there. Right. And, uh, and that's where, I think the, uh, you know, kind of the intensity and the energy, because, you know, they, uh, like I said, the com- there, there was a huge opportunity there for the company. And I think we all felt like we were on a race to grab as much growth and to displace as much old technology as we possibly could. And I think, and I think the numbers bear that out, that the company grew from 300 million to a billion um, over the course of, you know, the, the time that I was there. And uh, they were one of the first, first software companies to reach a billion dollars in annual sales. Right. And I think I think that's that mindset that you get um, from working in environments like that and cultures like that it, as a salesperson, it almost imprints on you. And, and what I see from there is what well, one of the things that always just makes me laugh and fascinates me about our, our industry of sales, especially enterprise sales, is how, you know, if you look at however the company measures their their sales periods, let's say quarters, you know, you have this every, you know, you have this sort of rise of deals uh, coming in and then gets the end of the quarter and it goes up and the same every quarter. And then the end of the year is obviously the biggest spike of all. Now, customers, as much as people will say, customers are smart and they know, you know, to buy, when to buy and all that sort of stuff. I don't really see it like that. I think that we as salespeople, we, we're dictating when things close. And therefore, with that same mindset, if we can impact when things close, you've, you've got to say we're also impacting what closes as well. So when you say there, you know, people were having to forecast, but they, they didn't necessarily have the, the pipeline velocity to support the forecast they were making. I would I know we would never get these numbers, but I would be fascinated to, to kind of figure out what percentage of um of, of numbers that were coming in were brought in almost by I want to be wishy-washy and say the power of the mind, but the power of the intent that those, you know, as you said, starting from the top, drove all the way down the business where everyone feels like, right, you know, we've 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 committed a number, we've got to bring it in right. against, right. you know, and I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it is. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's obviously, you know, creativity and and you know, um, perhaps um, 
finding a way to accelerate an opportunity. Maybe it's, it's, you know, uh, just some of the different create creative things that I think we've all seen, but I, I you know, I, I can't necessarily say that it's a healthy lifestyle, right? That's not necessarily <laughs> the way to really go. And I think, you know, one of the things that we really need to try to do is to make sure that, um, we're not putting ourselves in that situation, right? That we, mm-hmm. you know, a healthy pipeline cures all ills, right? And and I think oftentimes managers um, and sales organizations are more focused on the closing side as opposed to the pipeline building side. Right. And I think you know if you're if you're really if you're really being more proactive, if you're really trying to think about okay, how do I av- avoid kind of this hockey stick at the end of the quarter, right? Then I really should be putting more energy into pipeline building so that. I've got a bit of a reserve of opportunities there that I can tap into and I, and I don't feel like I'm draining the pond, you know, every, uh, every quarter, right. That's uh, that, that, that is a vicious cycle that uh, I think, you know, a lot of organizations would love to get their, themselves out of. And I think, you know, a, a real focus and a commitment towards pipeline building is really the way to do it. Yeah, I think so too. I, and, and like you say, like the, one of the things that's fascinating to me is, is, is the psychology of sales that goes into your success rate. And if you have, it's not just the, 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 the quantity of pipeline and, you know, uh, the, the, the sort of velocity of it going through uh, your, your sales process that, that helps, but it's also, I strongly believe in the seller's mindset as well. If they feel like they've got a lot of um, pipeline behind them, then therefore they become more selective with their time. Mm. And therefore they become more successful because they qualify better and they hold the customer to account more of, you know, um, of their time. And I think you are, you, we, we've talked about this before about, um, I think, um, someone you, you used to work with at Sprinkler who, who would talk about a fair exchange of value. And I really right. like that concept. Perhaps we could, you could expand on that a little. Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great topic. And I think a great observation, you know, there has to be a sort of a certain fearlessness there, right? You know, there's, I think a lot of people that are afraid to hear bad news and I think a willingness to ask the tough questions. Right. Um, and I think that when you do have a healthy, when you have a healthy pipeline, you're actually become a better qualifier, right? Because you don't, you know, you're not, you're not desperate, to, desperately clinging on to that, that second rate opportunity, right? You're like, Hey, look, I've, I'm, I'm busy. Like I've got people to see, we've got solutions to, to provide. And, and if you guys can't help me understand like how we're going to do business here, if you can't, if we can't get an NDA in place, right. So that we can have uh, a free exchange of information so that we can understand what's really not working here. Right. Then, then, then this is not a great use of my time. And the customer's like, whoa, 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 whoa. you know, um, you know, so we've got to have, I think, uh, you know, we've got to bring some of that gravitas. Um, you know, I think the reality is that, you know, our, our, the people that we're dealing with in our customers' accounts, everybody's, everybody's incredibly busy, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 mo- and so many of the people that we deal with don't necessarily know how to buy technology, right? right? So, so I believe that we really need to bring, and this is why, you know, great salespeople have bring strong leadership, mm-hmm. right? Like they're natural leaders, you know, or, and leadership is something that can also be learned. But I think when you bring leadership into an engagement, right, the definition of leadership is, is, is that people will follow you. And that nice. includes the customer, right? So when you bring leadership into an engagement, right, the customer will follow you. And it's not to say that we're going to ignore their process, right? But it has to be something that's done together. Yeah. And, uh, and so when we lead, when we lead as, as sellers, uh, customers will follow. Yeah, I, I, I so strongly believe that as well. And I think um, I always say this to people, if you think about the most impressive salesperson you've worked with, you know, in, in previous roles and places like that, there's a lot of a lot of attributes that people apply to 
good salespeople. They think, you know, they have to be like product experts. They have to be good, you know, people like all, all of these things that if you were to, to survey the masses, they would come up with. But I really do think that the one thing that um, stands head and shoulders above when I think about the best salespeople I've ever worked with is exactly what you just said is leadership qualities. It's, it's, it's almost just being, um, being the person that can bring everybody together, being meet all the stakeholders, whether they be internal stakeholders, your team, your sales engineer, your your exec team, through to the customer and their exec team and their stakeholders. And it's kind of managing those. And I I, I always think about this as one person I worked with at Oracle. And um, you know, Oracle's like gigantic company, and we were in the construction. Uh, industry vertical and like you know at that size there's there's regular meetings where all of the different you know stakeholders internally at oracle would come together i remember this guy was was a, a thoroughly impressive salesperson he did you know he was top i think he might have been globally top that year at least he was top in emea which is a big thing of application salespeople of thousands at oracle but i remember being earlier in my career and seeing him in these meetings and and being like this guy doesn't contribute anything from a construction perspective. He doesn't seem to have any thought leadership or anything like that, but yet he is clearly the most impressive person in, in this sort of whole organization. And it's going back to what you were saying, he was able to command leadership because he was so confident in his, his the value that he would provide that he kind of just filtered out anyone that wasn't going to be a good use of his time. And, and, and I think that obviously is, is a big topic about where medic is, is obviously extremely strong is as a qualification framework. And so I think that's why it goes so hand in hand. You and I are obviously very biased towards um, yeah. of liking medic, but um, to kind of take it full circle, I realize we kind of, you know, I know you, you are, probably one of the most modest people I know, Dick. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile earlier today and on there, and it, you know, under there it has, you know, areas of you have expertise in there. And one of the third or fourth things on there you'd put was medic. And I thought to myself, you, you, you're classing yourself as an expert in medic, but I'm sure most people know this, but for those that don't, you, you literally coined the phrase of medic, you know, you invented the term medic. And I think that I um, <laughs> it, it just amuses me because it's, um, yeah, to see I, it, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually did the very the very first medic implementation. So you know, <laughs> I think there's been quite a few since then, um, yeah. but I did the first one. That's amazing. And, and you know, it's a, it's a fascinating story of how it came about. And I think what people would love to hear about this and why it's why it is such an interesting story is because the the, the organic nature in which medic was born um i think is one of the reasons why it's gone on to be so prolific and and, and last the test of time like it has so perhaps from your you know i feel like i've told the story a load of times recently i'd love to hear um it, it from your side um of oh how sure yeah about. yeah 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 you know it, um it, it's interesting because i think um um maybe some of this comes from my my engineering background and you know but I think anybody that goes through through um, through school um, you know has sort of develops critical thinking and and one of the things that I really took away from Xerox was it's funny and I actually have it on my desk right here you know is my my first sales book was you know spin selling right <laughs> and it's a classic right and it's, it's and you know to me what it what it really um, instilled was this idea that you can take something that you know most people would think of as sort of an art, and break it down into some sub concepts like, you know, understanding the situation S, you know, defining the problem, exploring and exposing the implications of that problem. And then the needs payoff. And I'm like, oh, that's really, you know, and that was that was really the, the, 
the, the methodology uh, that was really instilled uh, at Xerox. And so, you know, when I, when I got to PTC, I, I was initially a sales rep, worked as a sales rep in Eastern Pennsylvania, um, you know, spending time in Scranton and Allentown, calling on sheet metal fabricators and pump manufacturers selling Pro Engineer, which was designed through manufacturing software. And, um, you know, uh, uh, was very successful there. I was responsible for, for generating a lot of new business in Eastern Pennsylvania. And then, uh, and then I got the phone call from, from Ann Gary, who was at the time the head of sales development at PTC. She worked for John McMahon. And uh, she invited me to, uh, to, to Waltham, to Massachusetts, to join the sales development organization uh, as, an, as an interim position. Because in what, what, what PTC was doing at the time, which I think is a great practice, is they were pulling salespeople out of the field to do a stint in sales development and then also used it as an opportunity for professional development. Mm-hmm. And then they would spin those people back out into the field as district managers. And so it was an opportunity for me to, you know, develop professionally uh, as well as, um, you know, develop um, as well as provide value to the organization by uh, by training. And so um, at the time, John McMahon had this this concept called five touches. He wanted to have five touches during the first year. Mm-hmm. There was like a new hire class and then a boot camp and then the in, and then an intermediate class and then the boot camp and then and Gary's advanced class. So you had, but you had to get an invitation to make it to Anne's class. So, um, so I was responsible now for developing this intermediate sales training class. And I worked with um, a couple of different people. Uh, This guy named Dale, Dale Monin, who was part of the team at the time. Um, Jack Napoli was part of the team. Anne, of course, um, and many other sales leaders that were, were there. And so I was in the process of developing this intermediate sales training class. And that was when this activity developed called, you know, why do we win? Why do we lose? And why do deals slip? And so, uh, and so I moved, we moved to Waltham um, from the Philadelphia area in about April. Uh, so it went from, it went from spring in Philadelphia to back to winter. <laughs> you know, that's what happens when you, when, when you, when you move up there, uh, when you step back in time a couple of months. And so we got there and, uh, and I started working up there and I think it was like April or May. And then by June or July, I was, was doing this course. Right. And uh, and so one of the things that started to emerge was this pattern of, you know, coming out of this activity of why do we win? Why do we lose? And why do deals slip? You know, we started to sort of see some recurring themes. And uh, and eventually we said, well, look, the like, you know, like we keep coming up with these same six things. And uh, and so I I basically presented it to Ann and John. I said, you know, John, this is I think we've got something here. Right. These these are like the six recurring themes of why do we win? Why do we lose? And why do deals slip? And uh, and he said, let's let's run with it, right? And so I had had six things. I had metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, pain, and champions. And uh, and so I guess my claim to fame is that I'm the, the person that had to decide that that I was for pain. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the identification, the identification, and the implication of pain. And so so that was what that was that was the original kind of definition and version of uh, of, of medic. And. Uh, you know, it's funny. I remember the first time that I presented this to a class. Um, we had a group of, of sales reps that had been on board for a few months, and uh, we went through the exercise. And then um, I presented at the end. I said, "This is it. This is the answer. The answer is is medic." And this guy, 
in class, I remember to this day, uh, his name is Mike Makatura. Mike raised his hand. He goes, okay, so let me see if I got this straight. He says, you mean to tell me that I is for pain? I said, yes. You're damn right it is. <laughs> Everybody laughed, and uh, and he said he said that's the worst acronym I've ever heard. And, uh, and then and then and then a couple of couple of weeks later, I swear to God, a couple of weeks later, he called me, and he goes, "Hey, he goes, remember how I was making fun of your acronym?" He goes, he goes, I use it every day. He goes, I will never forget it. He goes, I use it, you know, in preparation for meetings. He goes, I use it, you know, I used it to sort of analyze a deal to figure out where our gaps were. He says, I use it all the time. And, uh, oh, wow. and so, and so, funny story. In preparation for this interview, I I, I exchanged messages with him, and he said, "I'm still using it." <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Oh wow, that's a brilliant story. Imagine if you would have, um, imagine if you would have taken, you know, offense and thought, oh, maybe he's got a point. Maybe maybe this this acronym doesn't have legs, and and you know, it, you know, <laughs> could have changed the course. I mean, I you know, I, I we joke, but I, I genuinely, you know, can you imagine? Um, the amount of the billions and billions of dollars of revenue that that have been won, you know, because of of organizations being able to be more proficient with their their selling because of what you created, you know that that's uh, yeah, that's fast. Oh, that's you so know, funny. but I also want to. I also maybe I, I want to give maybe just a little bit more context because I mm-hmm. think that you know um, maybe the piece that I left out was the fact that the people who were contributing to why do we win and why do we lose and why do deals slip like those were people who had great experience. They were talented people who worked for really strong managers. And so, and so the fact that, you know, I sort of, I sort of maybe was responsible for packaging, right? Like maybe that's my, maybe that's the thing I can take credit for was the packaging exercise. But these guys were the ones that were bringing the ideas, right? They were the ones that were talking about, you know, the concepts of concepts of champion and the concepts of decision criteria. Like these were things that, that already somewhat existed, right? And the the other book that was very popular at um, at, at PTC at the time was a comp- was a book called Power Based Selling. Oh yeah, um, which was about uh, the subtitle had the subtitle um, Stories of an Ivy League Street Fighter. Yes. Right. So it was like winning with a plum and 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 savvy. Um, and so you know concepts of of of, of economic buyer and and champion were sort of embedded hmm. right in the book. And so and so these guys were bringing the ideas. And I think if anything, I could maybe take credit for is uh, is the packaging. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But thank you. Know, very grateful because I think you know there's there's been. Throughout time, there's been, you know, collections of talent like there has been. Maybe not, you know, PTC seemed like a very special place. You only have to look at the proliferation of, of who's come out from there and, you know, all the kind of who's who in in, in um, self-leadership today to sort of see that. But I think um, it did, it, you know, it, I think you should take credit because I think um, having the ability to bring it together, package it up and then articulate it in a manner that, you know, people can just grab a hold of. And I think one of the things that for me has always been interesting about medic is if you spoke to most uh, most enterprise salespeople, they've either they'll understand medic even if they've not used it or if they have used it they will you know they will have embraced it a little bit through to obviously a lot but generally people understand the, the concept of it but it does seem to be a very very wide spectrum especially from my experience of yeah. people that just know what the acronym stands for. And so they could answer your questions if you'd say, oh, who's the champion? Who's the economic buyer? But through to actually then um, using it, executing against it, and then, you know, right the way through to I know what some of the things you've been able to do as you're kind of like, you know, intro- you, know you created it, but then going leveling up, leveling up to where you are today about sort of executing it over the top of um, sales processes, having kind of 
entrance and exit criteria that relate right. to where you are that that for me is very very interesting and i think that you know there's a correlation between some of the the, the fastest growing companies and their sort of level of discipline i suppose is the right word of how yep. they deploy medhic or medpick as it is often is now yep. is, is that what you find as well yeah yeah for sure and it, you know it's a really interesting um it's a really interesting concept and i and i, I think about um what organizations Let's think about organizations that maybe are more of a startup mm-hmm. uh, or an organization that's you know much smaller, um, and they don't necessarily have the infrastructure or the management structure or the the process to really engage in more of a disciplined kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And and maybe maybe in the early stage company, a lot of, a lot of companies are bringing in kind of rainmakers, right? You're bringing mm-hmm. in people that are really like superstars in the industry. You're bringing in people that you know can sort of create business. Um, because maybe they they come from the, the industry or they come from a direct competitor, and so now you've got this small company with a group of very independent kind of rainmakers, and you're like, well, look, I'm just going to let these guys run, right? And and so and so in that kind of environment, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to have a disciplined environment. You can say, hey, listen, guys, let's all agree, like the things that we're going to navigate through during mm-hmm. our sales processes, we got to make sure we get these things, right? We got to make sure that we're clearly identifying a business priority and we're attaching ourselves to that. We've got to make sure that we quantifiably are, are defining how we're going to impact that solution. We've got to create some decision criteria so we can, you know, get consensus across the decision makers, right? We've got to navigate through an agreed upon process. We've yeah. got to develop champions, right? It's like, like we've got to do all those things, but I'm going to let you guys figure out how, how, and when you do that. Right. So you guys just go. Right. And so you can operate like that. Right. If you're a, if you're a smaller, less kind of if you, if you don't have strong sales leadership. Right. You can operate like that. But but what happens is that as organizations get bigger. Right. And, 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 and you know, rainmakers don't grow on trees. Right. You've got to now begin to expand your hiring profile so that mm-hmm. you can scale the sales organization. Right. Like you're still looking for top talent. Right. But you, but you've got to be able to have a model where you can bring in more salespeople. You've got more structure. You've got a more repeatable process. You've got to be more consistent with forecasting. Right. And that's when the, that's when the discipline has to begin to, to set in. Right? right. And that's when you've got to begin to have sales. You've got to really clearly define sales stages. And, and so that's when, to me, where, where, where medic can become actually more of the less, less the UI mm-hmm. and more the operating system. Love it. Yes. Right. And that's kind of how I think about it. That's, that's the way we're using it at, at Salonis is that, you know, every activity uh, doesn't start with one of those letters. Like there's things like, well, you got to get an NDA in place. You got to know if the people that you're dealing with are actually, if the, if the uh, executive decision maker actually knows that we're even talking to their company. Yes. Uh, you know, there's like there's like things that you have to that you've sort of embedded in the process so that you can so that you can um, so that you can define clearly define where are you in the process. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the definition of success within that process? And is there a fair exchange of are we delivering value to the customer within that process? Right. To me, I, I think it's an important concept because then you can have small victories. Right. You can say, hey, we've 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 successfully executed on this discovery process. And the customer's like, yeah, that was great. They get what they need. Right. A clear understanding of the problem and the potential solution. We begin to get a, a clear understanding of how they make decisions. And so now it's like it feels like a win win. Right. Uh, yeah. We've had a exchange of value at every sales stage. And, and so these to me, these these feel like small victories. And when yeah. you can have these small victories, you know, small vict- victories lead to lead to your ultimate victory. I love that. I think that's great. I think that's really good. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's that fair exchange of value of saying, you know, because as I'm thinking about this, as you're mentioning it, I'm thinking, um, well, you know, 
that's all well and good. You know, I'm playing devil's advocate. That's all well and good if the customer's happy to go through that process with you like that. But it flips, the, the flip to that is if they're unhappy to for you to go through a scenario, it's going to be a win-win because, you know, you're going to win because you're going to extract information that's going to help you demonstrate to them the value that you're going to provide in a meaningful way. Then if they're not interested in that, then it's almost like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing with the customer? Exactly. So it is that classic. And I love the idea of the um, the, the small wins as well, because I think, you know, especially in, you know, slowness and enterprise sales, it's what's, you know, without being, you know, disclosing sensitive information, it, it must be a multiple month sales process, I'd imagine, looking at the complexity of the technology you're selling. So to to build in those wins as you go, but also, um, not just for your own internal morale and you know progress and traction, but I also really like the idea of doing that with the customer, saying, "Hey, look, you know, we've we've got through this kind of this stage. Look what we've done together. This is the output of the work that you put in. And what's next? I'm going to be asking you to invest this much time because the next yeah. output is going to be that. I, I think that's great. I love it. How do you do it? And I think that, and I think the other, the other thing that this sort of brings me back to is, and this is where you know, medic loves challenger right mm. is because you know the challenger sale because so many of us are are out there selling innovative solutions right mm-hmm. we're bringing innovative ideas to organizations that uh, we're introducing new concepts and we're challenging conventional thinking like that's a lot of what we do right mm-hmm. is is that people have uh, um, you know conventional ways of thinking about how they can solve a problem like for us it's about process improvement and how mm-hmm. we can identify issues uh, that exist inside of uh, organizations critical business processes and how we can identify them and, and, you know, uh, uh, improve them to achieve better positive business outcomes. Um, But the issue is that is, you know, for organizations is that um, when, you know, that they can be stuck in sort of the way that they've done things in the past. And, and, and so for us to be able to bring that innovation comes back to how important it is for us to be able to really give, you know, another basic, tenant of sales is give to get, right? right? But I think that in order for us to really be able to to, to get real traction, right? We've got to prepare. We, we put a mm-hmm. lot of a heavy emphasis on preparation, Brilliant. right? Know your customer, know your audience, right? Be familiar with the kinds of challenges. Learn to speak their language. Like, you know, know the the, the KPIs for their industry. And when we take the time and we have a relevant story to share, we come in with, you know, a, some strong ideas about how we believe we can help them, right? It's that it's that provocative point of view. Um, you know, that to me demonstrates a real strong give. And, and to me, that's a really, that's the right way to enter into these kinds of uh, relationships. And, you know, it really builds the credibility, the respect, and uh, and then it gets us into a motion, hopefully, of, of you know, kind of that, um, that exchange of value and, uh, you know, gets us, gets us into a healthy process. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I like that a lot. What's um when you're um when you're you're managing these sort of um extra I want to call them extra layers, but they're sort of extra focus of things you're looking to get through at each stage. Um, I don't know if you'd call them exit criteria or just just criteria in each stage. How are you how are you managing that? Is that is that sort of just a more depth in the process, um, or is is it genuinely part of if I'm a salesperson for you and you're my sales manager for me to progress? a deal from one stage to another i have to in a very very binary fashion have to satisfy a certain criteria yeah so we actually have um something that we call the medpick checklist and uh, it's the, cool. it's the, it's the actual it's the absolute minimum 
set of things that you have to have accomplished in that stage in order for you to advance the stage. That's cool. Right. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, it's, um, I think any organization can do it. You know, the way that we, the way that we actually developed that was we said, we went through each element of, for us, we use MedPIC. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly enough for us, P stands for partner because right. we really are very, very committed towards leveraging partner relationships because partners can actually really contribute and add value to our engagements, right. To mm-hmm. deliver process improvement to our customers. Mm-hmm. And so, so we have to always, always, always have a partner plan. Um, and, uh, and so what we did is we went through each of the elements and we said, okay, well, what are this, what are the small steps that you would go through in order for you to get, for example, M like, mm-hmm. you know, what are the steps that you go through to really secure strong metrics? What are the, uh, something that the, that the customer would use to validate and justify an investment in, in Solonis? Mm-hmm. What are the steps that we would go through to identify the economic buyer to, you know, secure alignment and sponsorship and then to get their agreement to move forward together, right? So you can go through and sort of describe what are we, what are all the steps that we would go through. And I think actually, Andy, I, I know you did this in uh, in your book, and and I think your descriptions were were, were excellent. Um, but when you do that and you sort of do it in your own terms, as as your as like this is what how we would do it at our company, mm-hmm. then those are the those are the steps. Then you can sort of layer, you can distribute those activities, you can distribute those action actions over your sales stages. Right. right. And you can say, okay, what are the things that we have to have accomplished during our initial sort of profile? We call it profile, sort of the initial stage. Mm-hmm. And then we go into discovery, um, you know, and then confirm and then executive alignment. So there's there's these stages and we say, well, look, at a bare minimum, these are the things that have to have occurred in order for you to be able to advance the stage. And, you know, one of the things we see is that and when we first rolled this out, we would see that that sales reps would not complete a stage and they would move, they would advance the stage. So they would be incomplete. Right. And, and so, so sales uh, opportunities that would be incomplete in an initial stage, were much more likely to be incomplete in the next stage. We're much more likely to be incomplete during the following stage. So it was like you were creating a vicious cycle, a vicious pattern of, you know, incompleteness, right? Yeah. As opposed to let's take a disciplined approach. Don't move forward. Don't move forward until you get that mutual NDA in place. Don't move forward until you know that your audience is in contact with the economic buyer. And, and when we started doing that, when we started instilling that discipline, you know, our sales reps were starting to push back a little bit on the customer to say, hey, look, I don't really think we're ready to move forward yet. Right. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden we're, we're doing a better job of qualifying and we're also qualifying out Yes. And I think that's something that many sales reps struggle with is they struggle with how do I, you know, okay, qualify out. Well, like, when do I do that? Well, this is helping, helping you figure out the, when this is the, this is the answer to the question of when, when should I qualify? You know, when can I qualify out? And, and, and qualifying out doesn't mean that you're never going to talk to that customer again. It just means that they're sort of getting deprioritized. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that means that maybe you should spend time, maybe you should spend more time prospecting. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's great. And and you know what? That adds something to something I, I've been feeling for a while, which is that it amuses me greatly that I think we as salespeople, we are the most pessimistic bunch of people you ever find. You know, we're 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 constantly we're like Eeyore, right? We're constantly worrying about our competition. We're worrying about the customer doesn't have budget. All, all the reasons we we you know we're, we're worrying about our deals, and that kind of to a degree keeps us on our toes because we're we're kind of always thinking about what can we do to to move a deal forward and all that sort of stuff. But the only time where salespeople are not pessimistic, where we become eternal optimists, is when the question comes: 
should I qualify out? And for whatever reason, we, we don't do that enough. Um, despite no one ever being able to say to me that they regret ever qualifying out, which no one has ever told me they've done. So right. we've got this funny thing. And what you're talking about there is brilliant because it's just giving the salesperson more evidence to support That's right. that they should either stay, you know, stay in because there's, there is, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We will get these criteria met or qualify out. And I think the beautiful thing about this, as I often say, is two things will happen when you go to qualify out. The first, the customer will go, yep, you know what, Dick, you're right. Actually, this is not a priority for us. The second thing that will happen, they'll go, oh, no, sorry, Dick, we, we really are interested. Sorry if I gave you the impression we weren't. It's just because of a, of a project that's now finished. You have my full attention now. And it, it changes the changes that's the right. dynamic a bit. You know, the other, the other benefit um, of, of this approach is that we actually use the checklist as a way to kind of evaluate um, sales reps competencies, mm-hmm. right? So, so this, you know, there's, there's a list of anywhere from six to eight things that you need to accomplish at each stage. And one of the things that, you know, we say is, look, if you as a sales rep are struggling with executing on this item, please, you know, first of all, don't ignore it. Don't say, oh, that's dumb. <laughs> you know, I don't understand why you're asking me to do that. Raise your hand and ask the question and say, help me, help me because I'm struggling with this, right? And 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 when you can help sales reps um, overcome perhaps a blind spot that they have or something that they're struggling with in navigating through a process where you know you're getting agreement with the customer, you're getting consensus on next steps, you're you know um, getting them to commit to providing you with information, the information that you need. Um, you know, you're defining the stakeholders. When you help sales reps identify where those soft spots are. Um, then you can actually provide them with more targeted training, right? And now all of a sudden you can unlock new potential, right? In your sales reps. And so to me, I like, to me, the checklist is is not only a way to really navigate through and help us qualify in or qualify out, but it's also something that we can use from the de- a development standpoint. Right. That's spot on. I love that. I love that. Dick, I know we're running out of time and um, I, I can just tell you now, I can already, I already know that people are going to be absolutely loving this episode. So hopefully we can find some more time to pick up this conversation because I know there was, you know, from from our pre-conversation, there's a ton of really interesting things that we can get into. We haven't even touched on, you know, the, you know, you talked a bit about um, Medic, MedPick as an operating system. I know that you and I both agree about the, the scope of Medic going right the way through the revenue operation from pre-sales to post-sales. So that's a that's a whole other exciting topic. But um, for, for now, for, for this, let, let's wrap it up there. And um, I just want to say thank you first and yeah, foremost. Yeah, it's been fun, Annie. Yeah, thank you Enjoyed so it. much for, for joining. Um, but also thank you for your work um, with you know, inventing medic um, and and everything you've done to date to sort of help the proliferation of it. I know that everyone listening to this will be very very grateful. And and then from me, just personally, a thank you for all your help with with the work that I've been doing. You've been an absolutely stellar partner. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been been a pleasure. And I'll I'll you know I think uh, actually twenty uh, medic turns twenty five <laughs> um, this spring. So uh, perhaps we should uh, you know raise a glass you know uh, to to I would raise a glass to our customers. Yes. Right. Because it's the customers who, you know, who we've worked with, who I think we really delivered a win win. Right. We deliver a win win. We deliver something. Uh, you know, it's understanding, understanding each other and helping them to achieve the things that really matter to their business. And then it's the sales. It's the salespeople who you know are helping them to navigate through that process and find the opportunities and, and bring them into their organizations. I think to me, you know, those are the people who, who have brought it to life and uh, they're the ones that uh, deserve the credit. 
I think you're spot on. Thank you so much, Dick. All right, my pleasure. Hey, so that concludes episode number four of Masters of Medic. Thank you to Dick and to you for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please leave a rating and don't forget to subscribe.